Welcome to the Awake Asia podcast. This is Luke, your host, where each episode I bring you everyday people doing extraordinary things to help you live a fitter, healthier, more purpose-driven, conscious lifestyle. In this incredible marathon episode of the podcast, I'll be talking to my good friend, Fraser Bailey, a veritable vegan powerhouse nutrition and strength coach with an incredibly interesting story to tell. Over this episode, we'll talk about how to change up your diet from simply replacing non-vegan items to making the most of the plant-based diet and sorting out your gut health as well. We also talk about how our decisions today make a big difference to how the world will be for our children and health in the long run. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Fraser. Um, really awesome to have you here. We've chatted on the PlantFit Summit. I mean, you're the one guy that has stayed on the PlantFit Summit for three years running. So you got that gold medal, you get the nice. gold stuff. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, like I said, because the PlantFit Summit is a seasonal event and you know every single session that we have together, I just get blown away and the audience get blown, gets blown away with what you share. And I just want to make all your, all, all your knowledge, experience, and of course the inspiration that you share with the world available on tap 24 7 365 <laughs> days a year so Thank welcome you. once again and i think uh, there's so many aspects that we can cover with you i mean now that you're you're a dad i'm a dad as well so i think there's a lot to chat about and, and i think a lot of similarities and a lot of struggles that we're going through but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, what's the latest and greatest, my friend? Well, first of all, Luke, thank you for having me on. Um, I'm excited, dude. Like I was saying to you just before the show, um, it's been a while since I did a, sort of a deep dive podcast. And as you know, I'm always wanting to learn things. So I feel like the last podcast that I did, the information I had is still relevant, but it's not as up to date as like where I'm at now. So I'm excited to kind of like <laughs> basically like, <laughs> like verbally vomit all over you with all this new stuff. Like just like regurgitate, um, but I it's it's been a, a an exciting journey, you know, coming into to fatherhood. Um, our little girl Zia is eleven months old in a few days, and it's definitely changed my life. It's changed my wife Lauren's life. Um, it's changed what we value in life. You know, as you know, in previous years, um, with with the vegan bodybuilding team and having done things um, at different expos and stuff. I was more heavily involved and invested in the vegan bodybuilding and fitness world. And now, even though I didn't compete, I was still part of that sort of environment. And now it's more so it's pivoted and shifted towards not just like looking good, but not trading off optimal health and longevity and presence with my family for that, which I know for a lot of fitness people, there's a huge trade-off that some of them will be honest about, but some of them will not always tell you about and it comes at a cost and so for me now it's pivoting around working on more optimal internal performance too so like making sure that i'm internally healthy making sure that my my brain chemistry is better which affects my mood my my tolerance for things my patience my creativity my productivity and the little amount of time i do have now compared to what i used to have so I think any parent can relate to that. So that's really where we're heading. We've been traveling in our RV around America the last few months, and we're back in Louisiana for a little bit to spend time with our family uh, for Zia's first birthday. And then after that, we're traveling again, which I love because 
we have a lot of clients in different states and cities. And so we'll go, we'll, we'll travel around and we'll do different one-on-one immersions with them where, where they come to us and we do deep dive stuff with them. So it's fun, man. There's so much stuff that I want to talk to you about and I'm just, I'm just excited. So let's dig in. I've seen you through the years and just even just looking at your post and I saw a recent post that you did where you showed your transformation, where you showed Frasier on the Facebook oh, yeah. Live many years yeah. ago and to where you are. I'm looking at you yeah. right now. You're just really, really chiseled. And of course, maybe can, maybe just walk us through how your nutrition has evolved back oh, in the man. donut days. <laughs> Dude, I still have those t-shirts, right? So, but you know, that's one of the things that I think is really powerful is that people will just think about abs or muscle size or, you know, selfies with like their body, but they don't think about like how their face changes, Right. And, and the faces is the window to your consciousness. People, the first thing that people really notice about you is your face. And what, at the time, I didn't realize how different I looked. My, just because my, I was eating more processed food, I was eating, like you said, more vegan donuts, more plant-based meat alternatives, just more processed vegan food in general, um, and more consistency around it. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I would do it just once a week, I would do it, you know, a couple of times a week or in certain instances, if we were traveling like every day and yeah, I was doing it. Like I was still, most of my diet was uh, still whole food, but it was enough of those things to affect me. So I had, you know, I was definitely holding more water weight. Uh, I felt fluffier. Um, and the weird thing is that everyone tends to hold water weight and body fat in different areas the most. So I still had, I still had abs. Yeah. Because I remember you were pretty, pretty lean, pretty shredded back then. I, I always, and I guess this is just like a, a blessing and I use it lightly because it's not reflective of health in general, but I, I, I would still have abs, but I would hold a lot of water in my face and in my back. And so, so, and I noticed that everyone's different. Some people hold water in their arms or in their, their midsection, but they have a lean face. It's like, but so for me, my face will get really puffy. And I noticed that if I, if I ate a lot of processed food, it would get like that. And also just in general, I think my total body weight and my calorie intake was just too high and it was just causing additional inflammation in my body that was not good. And so I look back now and I didn't realize like I didn't have any bone structure. My face was just kind of filled out and it wasn't like I was, I was fat, but I was puffy and fluffy and it wasn't reflective of what I was teaching and it wasn't really reflective of like who I wanted to be. And it, it took me time to recognize that and realize that I had to be a model of my own teaching. And I think that everyone gets to that place. Like at first we have this intention and we want to teach these things, but sometimes we have to actually move into that, that thing ourselves before we can really model it properly and teach it to other people in a way that works. And so then I noticed how, at my heaviest at about 225 pounds, which is like over a hundred kilograms. Um, yeah, my face was very like round and at the time I didn't see it. And it's funny how we, at the time you don't actually really notice how you look until you compare. And that's why taking, you know, progress pictures doing, you know, I did a lot of live streams, so I'm grateful for that. And then last year I, you know, doing live streams every year, I would notice that my face looked a lot more refined. And then when I started, I took a break from doing Instagram stories where I was talking about mindset and stuff, just because when we were traveling so much, I didn't have time to like really dig into that. And then when I started doing them again, I started getting lots of comments from people saying, you look like so different. Like your hair, you're like your hair is different, but like your, your face looks way different. Like you look, you look younger. 
And I didn't notice it at the time because I just see myself every morning. But then when I looked at the pictures, I'm like, damn, like I really do look very different. And one of the things that I want to put forward to people is it wasn't this intentional goal of I need to lose 10 pounds to feel adequate, or I want to lose, I want to get to this percent body fat. It was more of a values-based process whereby I didn't want to be sitting there jamming donuts in my face, eating Oreos and things like that in front of Zia. And have, and have her at the age where she will look at me eating, but she's not allowed it. But why am I putting it into my body? And so that for me was a big motivation. Like I was like, I want to instill in her values around optimal health. So she's really healthy from the very beginning. And what does that mean? It means that I have to model and emulate those things to her. And so for me, that was that values-based process where it was such an important, meaningful aspect of life for me that I was able to shift and not even feel like I was dieting. And I was able to shift and not feel like this compulsion to want to keep doing it because the value that was driving it was so much more profound than the short-term reward of that piece of junk food. And so, and so it's very reflective of a internal transformation. You know, I say to people, you don't want to become the type of, you don't want to be the type of person who's just resisting eating the vegan cookie. You want to become the type of person who grows into someone who doesn't even need the vegan cookie to begin with. And it takes time to get there. It took me years to get there, but, and I, and I still probably will have times where I, I slip, but. I'm, it's a lot different journey now. And I think the face is very reflective of that. And as you, as you know, dude, like being in the social media space, having your own online brand, you need to be a representation of that. You can't be fluffy and out of breath and, you know, have all these things that are clearly not signs of optimal health with you if you're trying to promote health and fitness. And that's what we're, that's where I'm coming from now. So, and I have nothing against people who are not like, you know, have a chiseled face or are consuming vegan junk food. Cause I recognize that everyone is on their own journey in that spectrum. And some people will do, be doing it for different reasons. And at the end of the day, that's their thing. So yeah, 100%. You talked about, you know, your whole transformation and your whole journey and definitely values is something that I 100% agree because ever since my little girl, Sienna, has came about, it's like a fire in me has been lit. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you agree as well. It's no more just about like my own body composition, about being a positive example of the lifestyle, which you can still can be, but still eat junk yeah. in that sense. But, but, <laughs> but at the same time, it's still detrimental for health. So I want to go back to what you were saying earlier about you having this profile online and coaching others. Was there a little bit of a disconnect? So you were telling your clients to do something while you were doing something else. Was that the case? It wasn't so much that I was telling them to do something else, but it was that I, I was setting the bar lower for myself and for them than what I would have liked. And so basically what I was saying was I had this whole sort of model of you know, you can do some of these things in moderation, um, if you like, and still achieve the result. And it's okay. And so for me, for a point in time, that was the story that I sort of operated on. And while that makes sense to some capacity, like, yeah, sure, you can get down to 5% body fat and be jacked and consume freaking processed cereals and junk food and eat vegan pizza all the time and stuff that you're not going to have good 
blood work. Like if someone runs blood work on you, your lipid profiles are going to look like crap. Your triglycerides are going to be elevated. Your your blood glucose levels will be elevated. You could potentially be pre-diabetic and still have 5% body fat. So like it's not – and so for me, that's an extreme case, the, you know, version of the, the, the case. But for me, it was like, okay, like I want to raise the standards in my own life and I know the benefits that will come of that. Now, I want to start raising the standards in my clients' lives too, where I don't want them to just settle for um, where they're at because I know that many of them want to want to feel better. They want to aspire to do more with their life, but they need someone at the front leading that charge to show them that it's possible. And so for me, it was more of a case of, I want to head into further uncharted territory, but I can't tell them to go first. I've got to be the one who leads that charge and then get them to follow me. And so I was preaching a more diluted, I guess, palatable model that is more condoning. And it's not to say that I, you know, I, I slander or I, um, say that anyone doing, you know, at the start of their journey or struggling with food or anything is wrong. Because again, context is everything. Like I've said to people so many times, context matters in the sense that if you're coming from a processed junk food diet or coming from a standard American diet and you having Beyond Burgers and Guardian chicken strips and you're having the odd vegan donut, but you, before you were just consuming bacon and eggs and doing a full-blown carnival keto diet, then, hey, those things are going to be a massive progression for you because you'll probably be adding some fruit and green vegetables in the mix too. But you do want to be aware that there's things beyond that progression as well. And so like, for example, I said to someone uh, in an Instagram post the other day, they said, well, a Beyond Burger is healthy. And I'm like, well, in what context? You know, In the context of are you comparing it to bacon? Because if you are, yeah, then sure, it is. It's not going to have the same IGF-1 response in the body, which you know can proliferate cell cancer growth. It's not going to have those effects. But is it healthier than doing like tempeh or hempeh, for example, which is like fermented hemp protein or fermented uh, soy and flax-based protein? Um, or is it, is it, say, it might be a little, little bit healthier than um, – so you might do that or seitan, which is, again, like more of an isolated wheat protein, which, again, I don't think is as healthy as doing like legumes or chickpeas or lentils. And then you might go a step further and you might sprout some of those things. So there's a lay, there's layers of progression. So my whole thing is, look, is it good or bad? In what context? Where are you coming from? Because where you're coming from dictates the context from which that thing is optimal or not. Like, have you been sprouting legumes and consuming a predominantly raw sprouted living food protein-based diet, but then you're adding in Beyond Burgers? Sure, that's like a massive step backwards. Mm, <laughs> you're probably going to be probably going to get bloated <laughs> and feel terrible. But if you've been consuming piles of junk food and just tons and tons of meat, dairy, and eggs. Doing the plant-based, um, doing Beyond Burgers to, to bridge the gap. And if you like it, and it's probably going to have a lot of benefits that are far beyond what you were doing. And so context is really everything. And so that's really what I try to emphasize to our clients now because I don't want them to feel like it's this perfectionistic, all or nothing, utopian, you have to get to this like pinnacle of veganism or you're not good enough mentality. But at the same time, I'm like, don't just settle for where you are what's next on the level of progressions that you can take? 
I think I think it's the same kind of mindset with kind of training as well because exactly. you, it's like periodized training. You know, you stick with a meso cycle, macro cycle, and then you just kind of you need to you need to keep pushing. If not, you're just gonna plateau, and the program is not gonna work. And I think it's the same with nutrition. So with that in mind, it's great that you've kind of moved through this whole spectrum from junk food vegan to really now yeah. really looking at nutrient optimization, which we'll go into a little bit later. But before we actually get into that, we both know of a, a lot of vegan health coaches or nutrition coaches out there that are advocating this, if it fits your macros perspective. What's, what's your take on that? Like, I have 300 calories to spend today so I can spend it on <laughs> Ben & Jerry's, can spend yeah. it on vegan donuts. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, I mean, it was like exactly like I was talking about before we went live with Simon from Plant Proof. You know, we, I've had this discussion with him where we, ha- we share very similar views and values around the, if it fits your macros perspective. And my whole thing is this, is that I feel like that mentality it's it's a good intention in the sense that it's trying to give you room to allow you to add a variety of foods in your diet but people use it as a like a people use it as a i guess a out clause to add in things that are not going to help them and so what i mean by that is so if it fits your macros culture for those who don't know it's basically i i if if y m where if it fits your macros means that you might have 80% of your diet is, you know, whole food plant-based and, or, you know, you might be doing some plant-based meat alternatives, but then like the other 10 or 20% might be like some vegan ice cream, dairy-free ice cream or a vegan donut or something processed. And what I put forward to people is that you can, and that they'll say, well, you can achieve fat loss like this, but I'm like, is fat loss the only marker of optimal health? And is, and do you just want fat loss? Like, If you just want fat loss at the expense and, and you're not concerned about optimal health or performance or longevity or disease prevention, then sure, be my guest. But if you really ask most people, were they concerned about optimal longevity, disease prevention, optimal peak performance in their workplace, with their mind, with their brain chemistry, their hormone profiles, then they would tell you that those things matter to them alongside fat loss. So if that is the case and it matters to you, then you putting in processed foods into your body, it's going to have adverse hormonal, blood sugar, neurochemical effects on your systems that are not helping you optimize. And so you might be in a calorie deficit where you lose some body fat. And there has been research that shows that when you lose weight, you can improve some of your blood markers, you know, like around um, uh, HDL, LDL ratios, um, lipid, pro- like lipid profiles. While you're saying that, I really thought of the Mark Hopps Twinkie uh, diet experiment where I think he was, yeah. there was just such a fascinating one because I think he was just eating Twinkies. I'm not sure for how long. This is a pretty much a processed, refined food <laughs> diet. But I think, was he in a calorie deficit? Oh, I think so. Yeah. And his blood all his all his levels actually improved, didn't it? Yeah. And so what it what it tells you is that you can improve your blood work if you're in a calorie deficit and lose body weight. But that usually that's you the caveat there is that usually the person is unhealthy to begin with or they're already obese. And so if they're already obese and their blood lipid profiles and their blood markers are already suboptimal, then sure, putting them in a caloric restrictive diet with some junk food is going to help optimize those things by getting their total body weight down first. 
but that should not be the end goal because there's so much beyond that. I've known people who were had low BMIs and low body fat percentages and got cancer. And I'm not saying that you know there's other there's other biological things that happen in terms of cancer, but I think that nutrition plays a very very large role in that as well. And so with coming back to the whole thing with artificial macros culture and the plant based community, I'm not here to you know to ever tell other people like you know you're wrong and that I'm better than you because. I've done this stuff. Like I've come along, I'm just sharing my journey and why I don't choose to do things like this anymore because of my value-based system. But the main reason is that if you have a diet that is even got a little bit of processed junk food in there, you're going to be, you're going to be getting those blood sugar spikes that you don't want, which is going to create some degree of insulin resistance, which is going to make it harder to stay lean a long term. And that could put you in a pre-diabetic state, which, and obviously with higher blood sugar levels comes brain fog, lethargy. You don't feel as creative. Your brain just feels like it's slower. So it's not just about like physical health, like it affects your cognition too. And so I want to be sharp. I want to have clarity. I want to be creative. I want to have a peak performance way of thinking. And so that's just the first part. But the other parts is the negative effects it has on like your, your LDL profiles and things. And people think that, if they're not consuming cholesterol, that their LDL won't be affected, right? That's a whole, that's a common thing. That's completely false. I've seen it with blood, my own blood work and other people's blood work who are vegan, who consume processed foods that have a high in like trans fats and different inflammatory products. It literally will affect LDL profiles. And so you can have someone who's vegan with elevated LDL because they're consuming a lot of vegan junk food. And so they could have lipid profiles like a, a non-vegan eating a standard american diet and they could have elevated triglycerides and things and so my whole thing is that you don't just want your clients to like get a nice before and after transformation picture but they feel like dog poop in the process or they have low energy or they go get their blood they go get their annual checkup done and their blood work is not good but they're still like they got a nice physical transformation because those transformations tend to not sustain. You can't sustain that because eventually you start to get so fatigued and so run down and your hormone system is so suboptimal that you just can't keep maintaining what you're doing. Your body just starts to break down. And that comes into the whole thing of people will say, well, I did this before and it worked for me then. Well, give it time. Like the, the real test of something works isn't did it work for six to eight weeks? It's like, does it work for six to eight years? And if you can't sustain it in optimal health for six to eight years or six to eight months, it's not a good model to practice. And so for me, like Simon was saying on Plant Proof as well, was that it's, I, I feel like now for me, it would be irresponsible of me to encourage people to eat mostly clean and then intentionally add in a little bit of junk food unless I put a really clear caveat in there and let them know that this is not optimal for your optimal evolution in terms of who you pre could be. But if you are like way down this end of the spectrum where you're just eating a lot of processed food and you just need to get your life back on track, it's going to help you bridge the gap to get to that point. So it can be like a, it can help bridge the gap, but it should not be the end result. So my whole thing is that 
your diet should be as whole food plant-based as possible as often as possible and you should grow you want to grow into the type of person that values that like you don't want to be a person who's abstaining from eating junk food and feeling deprived by not having it you want to grow into the type of person who values optimal health enough that it takes precedent over eating the processed foods whereby you don't even want them to start with and so i I try and coach and teach a lot of that mentality in our programming because I feel like that's really where optimal health lies. So, so and I also know that obviously optimal health uh, lies in optimal gut function as well. And yes, with cognition, with serotonin being uh, pr- um, produced in the gut. Yeah, gut issues are just so common these days. Are they very prevalent in your plant-based clients right now? Oh yeah, I mean like. That you would not believe the amount of people because we get a lot of people who are new to veganism coming to us yep. and the amount of people who have bloating, IBS, um, colitis, they get acid reflux. It's insane. I would say almost everyone has some degree of gut um, dysbiosis. And the, the, the thing is, is that very often people who say they don't, once they start working with us, they're like, I did, but I didn't realize it because I didn't even know what optimal gut function felt or looked like. And so they don't even have a frame of reference for comparison. They, they, they think that what is normal is normal, but it's, it's not. And so I, and I know this to be my story because as a, you know, a former butcher and someone who used to eat tons of processed non-vegan junk food and just tons of meat and dairy and stuff, my digestion felt terrible. I would get bloated so much and constipated and it just felt, and I, I would take, um, you know, laxatives and lots of people take different things. Like they'll take um, over-the-counter laxatives or just tons of fiber supplements. Yeah, like they'll supplement with fiber and water and things to just try and make everything pass through. And and I, at the time, I just thought that was kind of what you did when you had these problems. And I didn't really ever look back to my diet and think, holy crap, was it all the things that I was doing on a daily basis? And so one of the things that I put forward to people, and this ties back into the if it fits your macros culture, is that it's it's more heavily focused just on macronutrients, so protein, carbohydrates, and fats. With the whole culture of if it fits your macros, you know that talks about protein, fats, and carbohydrates. And the next layer to that, the next questions you want to be asking is like if it fits your micros. So like micronutrients, you know, iron, calcium, folate, B12, vitamin D, all these different things, all these micronutrients, vitamins and minerals. Because that to me is more reflective of optimal performance and recovery and hormone profiles and brain chemistry. But there's a layer beyond that, which not I don't think a lot of people really talk about. And it's ultimately absorption. In the sense that you could take a bottle of vitamins from GNC, but they it might not be optimal for you. You might not you, if your gut is in such a state of, of disarray, you might just excrete or not even absorb many of those things. And I know this to be true because I've had clients in the past taking um, you know B12 um, tablets, and they would go get their blood work done, and their B12 was low, and then they would take a sublingual. And their B12 went up a little bit. And then they would take like a B12 injection and their sub B12 would go up to like optimal. And so what it tells me is that something was happening with their absorption along the way. And obviously the gut is the, the main entry point from the outside world to your internal body. And I see a lot of people who come to veganism. And one of the things I think sometimes 
people do, like who are nutritionists or dietitians, is they kind of they kind of over um, they pump people up so much to think that all their gut health issues will be solved in like two days of a plant based diet, and that these people start a plant based diet and they feel worse because they're like, oh, I'm so bloated, like I feel horrible, or like I've I've cleaned my diet up, I'm eating a whole food plant based diet, I'm eating 80 10 10, like you know all these fruits and carbohydrate, like like green vegetables and low fat and low protein or whatever, and I I'm bloated and I feel awful. Part of it beyond that second layer is what are you absorbing and what is the state of your gut health? And beyond that is look at all the potential pollutants and chemicals in your environment that might be breaking down your gut itself. And so a guy that I really enjoy following and I can't take any credit for the information that I share around this is Dr. Zach Bush. And you and you know of him as well. And he talks a lot about uh, the, the chemicals that get sprayed on food and soil health around the fact that plants now, especially in, in the US, are growing in very nutrient void soil. So the plant doesn't have anything to uptake into its system. And so it's growing very nutrient void vegetables. And it's also being sprayed heavily with chemicals that have massive impact on hormonal systems, immune function, gut health. And so that's why sometimes you see people who are eating uh, what seems on the surface like a clean plant-based diet, but they might be buying really heavily pro- like GMO, heavily crop sprayed, nutri- like soil nutrient void produce um, because it's cheaper. And it's creating massive digestive um you know dysbiosis within them and so it's very multifaceted in the sense that now with clients we try to move them along a spectrum of okay if they're coming from a processed junk food diet let's just get them on some whole food whole foods to start with and then beyond that let's look at different foods prebiotic foods probiotic foods living foods that we can use to help optimize the digestive enzyme response in their body the the natural gut biome in their system their their stomach acid you know concentrations and things like that so they start to break food down properly so they don't get these adverse bloating and these adverse digestive effects and increases nutrient uptake because my whole thing that i say to a lot especially a lot of bodybuilders and you probably know this is that they train a lot but they also eat tons and tons of food and so they're eating all this food and you think about it like you're like all these things are forms of stress. Like every time your metabolism has to operate, like just living and breathing is like a form of you know oxidative stress. And so all these calories that you consume, like I know a lot of fitness people who will do double sessions per day. Like they'll train in the morning and the evening just so they can eat tons and tons of calories because they don't have control over their eating habits. And so the way to offset the body fat gain um, is to just like train more. And so what they do is they train more. But then they eat like 5,000 calories a day and their gut has to do so much work. You think of it like a vehicle on the road. Like if you, the more you drive it, the more it's going to have to be serviced. Otherwise, the engine starts to break down. Everything starts to fall apart. And the gut is like that. And so like if you're doing a lot of mileage on your gut by just eating a lot of calories, that's a form of metabolic stress. And so you 
you age faster, you break down quicker. And so my whole thing now, especially being a parent, is I don't want to be training two times a day and eating 5,000 calories a day to sustain 210 pounds of muscle mass. If I can train less and eat less, but be more efficient with my training and absorb more than nutrients in less calories and ultimately sustain most of the result, that's what I want to do, but it requires more fine tuning and more discipline. So we see a lot of clients come in with gut health issues and even a lot of vegans who have gut health issues, even on a plant-based diet because of the things I just talked about. So let's say if I were to come to you and maybe you could chart out a path of, you know, obviously we've, we've got, we talk about pesticides, we talk yeah. about processed refined foods. Maybe you could chart a path of the whole plant-based spectrum and maybe some goals that people can kind of shoot towards based on where they're at relative to where they're That's at. A, this is a great question because it kind of paves the way for like being accepting of everyone's journey wherever they are rather than this purest idea of you just need to be like, like, you know, grow your own vegetables and raw. <laughs> so like, okay, so starting out, you will, you know, obviously come into veganism depending on your motivations. So for example, some people, if their motivation is health, that's when you want to move up the whole food plant-based spectrum faster. If you're mo some people's motivation is ethical. And so they're like, look, I don't really care about my health as much. I'm doing this for the animals. That's fine. But recognize that if you can be more optimally healthy along your own journey, you will probably end up being a better advocate for them too because you're going to have better brain function, you'll have better temperament because it's going to affect your brain chemistry and all these things. So to start with, you might come into veganism. You might be like, okay, where do I even begin? I'm a, I'm a bodybuilder or I've been eating meat with every meal. So you might replace all the meat-based products with a plant-based meat alternative like Beyond Meat, Garden, Field Roast or something like that. Corn is some. I know in New Zealand, there's a brand called Fries. Um, and so you might replace the meat with that. You might replace the dairy with a non-dairy alternative like So Delicious or um, just these other, there's so many non-dairy brands now. You might replace the eggs with just eggs or a tofu scramble or something of that nature. So you might replace, you, you'll basically veganize the, the meals you've been consuming. And then what you would do is you would look at that and say, okay, like, now, how do I adjust my how do I make, how do I make more whole food plant based uh, choices fit my macros? Like, and that's a whole illusion in and of itself. Like, a lot of people think they need to hit these very rigid macro ratios. I would argue that that's actually suboptimal. I think that it's it's this bodybuilding culture that has been indoctrinated into the fitness community, and I and I know firsthand there's other ways to get the result because I'm living proof of that, and I've been doing this for years now, and you're an example of it as well. And so we're both living examples that you don't need to just be doing high protein, low carb, with a bit of fat and fiber to get like the result. You can do it with higher carb. You can do it with whole foods like legumes, fruits, and things like that. And so what I would put forward to people then is if they're still stuck on the the macro thing, which some people are, they just a lot of bodybuilders have a lot of security issues around needing to do things that are familiar to them. It's like a safety blanket. And so then what I would tell you to do is opt for things like tempeh or hempeh or um, tofu or seitan, which is a little bit more Hell, like you know, I would say tempeh is a healthy food. I would say tofu is not bad, um, but I, I wouldn't put it at, at, on the same pedestal as like whole food legumes and things, um, like you know whole edamame for example. But I still think it's good. I consume that even now. 
but I would say Satan is more isolated. So it's a little, it's better than, you know, the Beyond Burgers or something that has canola oil and different things in them, but it's still more like an isolated wheat-based protein, which in and of itself, anything in isolation, I don't think is necessarily optimal. Um, so you might add those things in. And then, but then people would say, well, what about soy? And that's a whole other subject in and of itself that I won't even get into now. Like, you know, but then what you would do from there is that's when you start to open the door to, okay, now I'm going to start adding in more whole foods, legumes, grains, nuts, and seeds. So then what you would do is you'd add in things with more micronutrient spectrum. So you'd add in more fermented foods, your tempeh, your, your miso, your sauerkraut, all those things with probiotics in them. You want to add in more prebiotic-based foods, chickpeas, sweet potato, bananas, different things like that, walnuts. And so what you would start doing is adding in a more diverse range of foods. And then that's when I really start to tell people to focus on colors. So think of the rainbow. So where's your red vegetable? Where's your green vegetable? Where's your yellow? Where's your orange? You may not add them into every single meal all the time, but you want at least like two or, you know, two plus. And you want something that's like a prebiotic food, probiotic food slash fermented. Um, And then you move along the spectrum beyond that. And I think that's when you really get to the point of, can you add in more living foods, more sprouted foods, so sprouted lentils, living, you know, living food. When I say living foods, I mean like cultured yogurt, you know, coconut yogurts that you might make yourself, um, make your own plant-based milks like we do now. Um, so it doesn't have preservatives and different things like that. And then you're saving on plastic. You're not using so many resources. And then you might start sprouting your own lentils or chickpeas. And that's when you really start getting down the, the, the optimal health end of the spectrum, I feel. And so... For someone looking at a progression, I would tell them that to start off where you are and just veganize your food with, with whatever um, processed alternatives are available to you. And then as you broaden your horizon, add more fruit in, add more diverse nuts and seeds in, soak, soak them to break down some of the um, inhibiting enzymes on them. There's lots of different things. Like So it's, it goes beyond just eating the food. It goes to the delivery method of the food. So you might have there'd be a big difference between saying getting a conventional uh, can of can of lentils from Walmart that isn't a can that's covered in BPAs and it's just you know non-organic and it's been sitting there for five years, versus getting um, some dry organic lentils and soaking them and sprouting them yourself. You're still eating lentils, but I think there's a very different nutrient perspective and assimilation and absorption of those same foods. And the same thing goes for nuts and seeds and things like that. But it's not to overwhelm people because you can get down the rabbit hole of really just wanting to do everything yourself. And sometimes it's not practical in, in, in this day and age. But what I tell people is that given enough time, as you cultivate a skill set around something, you become quicker at it, right? So like you get more proficient and efficient at doing something. Even now with a young daughter and a business we're operating and all these clients around the world we're dealing with, I'm, I've, I've, I'm making our own um, uh, sunflower hemp almond milk. And I sprout our own lentils and chickpeas. So like I still make time for this stuff because I recognize my value-based system around why I'm doing it is so deep 
that I make the time to do it. I do less. I spend less time on Netflix, and I spend more time sprouting legumes. Value and belief systems really drive um, drive actions or inactions. And and I mean, for for me and you, we're both parents, so it's very easy for us to just kind of focus and look towards the future and what kind of world are we living behind, or yes. how our little girls are modeling us. For the listeners out there who may not have daughters, who may not have a bigger purpose in that sense, how can they? maybe work towards shifting their value-based systems? That's a really, really good question. Ironically, it's actually something I literally talked about with my coaching group this morning. And I mentioned to them that there's many other avenues by which you can find values. And so first of all, you've got to recognize everyone's going to be different. Some people may not want to have children. Um, some people you know, have already got kids, but they didn't have these value-based systems in place when they had children. So now they're kind of having to backtrack a little bit, but it's never too late. Other people, they're like, okay, but like I, that doesn't resonate with me. What, what does? And so what I would put forward to you is what are things that, and I know this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but what are things that make you most fearful? So like what do you, do you fear getting um, you know, breast cancer like your mother did? Or do you fear getting prostate cancer like your father did? Do you fear financial scarcity? Like, are you worried that you're not going to have enough money to pay your bills? And flip it on its head and reframe it and use that as your driving force of value to remind you that you can change anything about yourself. And so what I put forward to people, and I've said this to some of my elite level clients where I said, look, do you realize that if you optimize your body composition and you like, so for example, like, you know, we were just talking about my face before, like how, like if I have a resume and I put a picture of my face on that resume and I look puffy and swollen versus someone who looks lively and vibrant and has a leaner face. What does that say about this person's habits and their daily routines and their levels of discipline? Now, obviously it's not saying, it's not telling you the entire picture. You can still have very talented people who have a puffy face, but it's saying that they're not reaching their potential. They're leaving a lot on the table. And so I recognized for me, from a business perspective, that I wanted to embody what people aspire to achieve. And so for someone listening, you might feel like, I hate my job. I feel lifeless doing it. I want a different job, but I I suck and I don't know what to do. (laughs) Or I, I want a different job, but I'm not confident. Or I want a different job. And my whole thing is, you need to become better at your job at what you do. So you, and the way you do this is by optimizing your energy levels and your brain chemistry. So if you can think better, you have better memory, you have more creativity, you have more productivity, you have higher levels of enthusiasm because you've optimi- optimized your serotonin and your dopamine levels and your acetylcholine levels and you're not getting as much um, brain fog from your suboptimal glucose levels. People in the workplace are going to see that. You're going to become so important that you get a pay raise. Or you're going to become so good at what you do and creative that you can go out and you can ask for a better job because you're good at what you do. And so if you want more financial freedom and more ability to travel and see the world and pay off your debts, then optimize your body through smart nutrition because that is your value system. And so people don't realize, well, this is what I say to people when they're investing in high-level coaching with us. I'm like, look, you're not here to just get abs. You're here to become more profitable and more financially free via nutrition. And because it's going to optimize the way you think, 
You're going to have more sustained energy. So your productivity and output is going to go through the roof. People are going to recognize that. So you're going to get pay raises or you can leave and get a better job. And so that's one avenue you can do. Another one might be around um, advocating veganism. You might have a lot of, like, you might be really passionate about the animals. And that if you can have a better level of energy, a better light and aura to your face, um, better, uh, you know, more, more vibrant way you carry yourself because you're healthier, then you have a better chance at positively impacting people along your journey to come down this beautiful path that we know is so amazing. Or alternatively, like I was saying, you might have people in your family that have been really sick and that you either might want to help them change their life or you might not want to go down the same path as them. And that means so much to you because you love those people and you do not want to see them die young or you do not want to go down that same path as they did. That that value system overrides all these emotional compulsions you have to eat these foods. And so it's really important in terms of what do you fear? Like what things give you anxiety? Now flip it on its head and reframe it from a positive perspective. That's your value system. Such a good point that you brought up because I remember listening to Anthony Robbins once um, and he was sharing in one of his tapes what he suggested for some of his clients who are just on the fence about not wanting to get healthy. Go to a cancer ward and see how people are dying. Yep. You need perspective and you need to see the mortality. We had a chat earlier about this whole male energy, this alpha male energy. As you know, on social media, there's this kind of millionaire mindset next to Lamborghini. Like, (laughs) hey, look at me. I'm this billion dollar. I'm worth a a billion dollars. I'm a baller, you know. I've got all these women around me that's super duper (laughs) alpha male. And meanwhile, on the flip side, there are guys who are afraid to lead. That's that's the truth is you have the spectrum of this um, fem- feminization of, of men slack crossed with like this like hyper alpha male sort of like facade, like a veil. And I actually think that that is like a veil of insecurity. And so like at each end actually represents a, a degree of insecurity. And so I know this firsthand, you know, having come from a butchery world, and in my teens, you know, for, for the listeners who don't know my backstory, in my teens, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I was on, you know, medication for that. I was diagnosed with severe social anxiety, ADHD, which is a learning disability. I was medicated for years. I was, I was suicidal at times. Well, I had suicidal ideations. I, I, it was, you know, it's such a crazy backstory that we won't, you know, obviously dive into too much because it is a whole story in and of itself. But I was in an environment where, I felt like because I was picked on so much at school, because I was like a runt, I was small and I was... I can't imagine I, that, Frazier. I, 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 was, I was small and skinny and, and, and just a little... I, was, I wasn't younger than everyone else too. And I actually recognize now the re, all the tattoos and the muscles early on was like art, layers, of art, right, layers of armor that I'd built unconsciously to try and create this sort of effect of like you protect myself back off like i i can defend myself and i didn't and i and i see that now and i and i embrace myself for who i am now and i recognize it was part of my story and my journey and that's why you know i i maintain my physique because i appreciate the the value that it brings now but with that came really bad crowds of people that i was around lots of 
just toxic masculinity, especially in the butchering environment where there was a lot of there was a lot of addiction, alcohol consumption, drug use. Um, there was domestic violence in the in the homes. A lot of these men. Um, there was a lot of violence in the butchery as well. Um, I saw a lot of just toxic masculinity in that space, and it really proliferated my own toxicity. I used to get into fist fights. I mean, like, like I, I had, a, you know, I did things like you did in your past. There was lots of stories where I was down this hyper end of the spectrum, overcompensating for all this anger and frustration and lack that I had in my life. And yeah, and, and this was preceded like social media times, but now I see it in the form of like these entrepreneur these these hyper masculine entrepreneurs online who have five thousand friends on Facebook and they post every day but like one person likes their post. So they're they're just basically like spewing out all this like like sort of like veiled smoke screenish like stuff about like material things. They have all these people like that they're interacting with, but barely anyone's engaging with them because it's just, they see the facade or there are people engaging with them and they're buying into this idea that they need that to somehow feel fulfilled. And that for me, that ties into, you know, there, there's a whole like a, a carnist um, sort of a carnivore, like Dr. Melanie Joy talks about this with, with carnism around there's this whole identity with men regarding fishing and hunting and dominating other animals. There's like a form of like bonding with each other. And I, and I think from a tribal perspective, if you look at that back in hunter gatherer days, and that made sense where men would go out and hunt, women would stay home and gather and men would take the young boys out to teach them how to hunt. And that was the way they bonded. And, and, Ultimately, when you look at that from an evolutionary perspective, nothing has changed. But now we don't live in like this sort of scarcity survival environment where we have to do that to survive. And we're, we're, you know, we're dying at 40 years old from some disease and we're eating by being eaten by saber toothed tigers and things like we don't live in that environment anymore. Yet we still take those same evolutionary holding patterns and use them in society today. And so a lot of um, the hyper masculine um, mentality I feel is basically founded around, it sounds weird, but sounded, founded around carnism and the idea of eating meat and having a barbecue and just eat a steak, you pussy and all, and all this stuff and teaching your kids how to hunt. So they're not a pussy when they grow up, you know, like there's all these things around like projection around these men wanting their children to be what they weren't or to fulfill some role as like a badge of honor for them to feel like they are good parents. And at the other end of the spectrum, you know, and I see this within veganism, like a lot of vegan men are kind of touted as like feminine or like, look at that, you know, look at that soy boy or like that, you know, I mean, just things around like femininity, because obviously like with plants more associated with gathering and nurturing. And Dr. Will Tuttle talks a lot about this in, in his book, The World Peace Diet, which is an amazing book. And I feel like a lot of men, um, are either one end of the spectrum or the other, where they're so unable to vocalize their, their frustration and their pain and their, their, their fears that they forfeit their feelings and emotions and say nothing and allow um, other people to lead them. You know, whether it's their whether it's their spouse or it's with the other men in their life, 
and they almost like neuter themselves because they're so fearful of just being different. I agree with that definitely. I mean, I was that person back then. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't the alpha male. I've never been an alpha male and I was that guy that was muted and neutered. When you're actually broken down and brought down to your knees, you're at the bottom of the hole. Sometimes that's the only way that you learn and you grow. Yeah. And and I think when you're at your lowest and in your your darkest, that's when you start slowly clawing your way out of the hole and and you start um building yourself up and i think sometimes we just need as i mean i I hope that no one actually has to go down that path where life kind of slaps you with a big fat bat and knocks you out yeah i just think that is so important for people to really be in touch having balance and i think it's all context you know sometimes you need to activate that warrior in you that sometimes you need to be nurturing and you need to listen yeah so i think you know at the hyper end of the spectrum you have these people sharing this sort of hyper alpha male attitude of being aggressive, you know, not, not being accepting of other people's opinions and viewpoints, not being emotionally tactile when it comes to navigating discussions, um, with their, with their spouse or their kids or other people who maybe have an opposing view to them. And that, is an insecurity in and of itself. And, you know, at the, and so I see it at both ends of the spectrums and I get a lot of like hyper masculine guys come to me who are bodybuilders who want help to go vegan, but they're, you know, they're worried about protein or, you know, they're, they're taking tons of anabolic steroids and stuff. And there's a reason why they're doing all that stuff. They're doing all that stuff because it's layers of armor that they've created. Um, it's, it's their identity. And like, they're so scared of leaving the tribe and like being different and not looking as big or as strong. And because what's the tribe going to think? And I think that there's a strength in saying, you know what? The tribe is outdated. The tribe served me for a time in my growth journey, but it's an old tribe and I'm going to start my own. And you have to have, it takes a degree of confidence within yourself. And like, even, you know, you were talking about, like, I don't even think there's a, a sense of balance between being feminine and being masculine. I think the balance shifts depending on, like you said, depending on the context. Like, I think there's a time where you have to be like really assertive and, and sometimes even aggressive. And there's other times where you have to be very nurturing. And I know like for me, myself now with a young daughter, I really have to bring that out of myself more and, and, and really cultivate that in, in myself more. And I noticed that me coming into my vegan journey, being a former butcher, I'm able to reach a lot of those sort of alpha male men that like love barbecues and steak and stuff. But I'm able to reach them from a perspective of like, dude, I was there. I get it. But like that doesn't miss, that's not representative of who you are as a person. And in fact, I would challenge you to say that you breaking your holding patterns and your habit, your current set of habits and beliefs around what is normal is actually more strength than staying the same. And so I kind of frame it from that perspective to challenge them, to throw it on its head. But I definitely think that, um, you know, there's a whole psychology around veganism and plant-based nutrition and even being, being a parent, you know, like I even now have, have tried to try to find that middle ground where I'm expressing myself, but in a, in a productive way, um, in the way that, you know, 
and brings me to my highest self. So it's definitely a journey I'm, I'm, I'm still on and I think I will continue to be on. For parents that are listening out there, you know, what, what would you say to them in terms of giving the best start to life for, for their little girl, their little boy? I love this. I love this because you know one of the things is, and it's nothing against my parents, is that they didn't have they didn't have any understanding or knowledge around nutrition, so they didn't know what you know. But I grew up on a processed diet. Um, you know, my I remember just eating fried chicken and mashed potato covered in butter and cheese, and um, just and I mean it was it was your typical mainstream diet back before the age of the internet, where people just ate like these really sort of savory things covered in dairy and cheese and stuff and i i look back now and you know i don't it, it's it wasn't my parents yeah, fault they're and doing the best that they can i yeah with the knowledge that they had and i want to put that forward to any parent listening first or any person in general like trying to improve their health or their family's health is that don't feel bad about where you're coming from because that's not going to serve you moving ahead and you did the best you could with the knowledge that you had but once you know more it should be on you to do more and what i would tell people is that as early as possible, start them with just like really whole food, plant-based foods without any sauces or seasonings or anything that's going to change the taste or t- flavor. Like allow your kids to truly taste what each food tastes like in its most pure form. So you'll see, you'll have people, um, you know, once the kids get a little bit older, they hate broccoli or they hate these green vegetables. So they have to like hide it in all these other foods with sauces and all these different things because they don't like those foods. Whereas my whole, I guess, approach now is if I can allow her to taste every food in its most raw form from day one, she might develop a palate where she doesn't need to drown things in sauces and seasonings to give her satiation or um, fulfillment with her food. And so I I would love for her to get to that place. Um, And also... Like for, for us, for example, Zia is 11 months old. Lauren's still breastfeeding. And I mean, she plans to breastfeed just for as long as she feels is needed. Like she, she doesn't have an end date. I mean, she's, she's even said she would do it to two plus years old. Like she's like, I don't have an end date. I'm just going to go bait. Motherly intu- intuition. Yeah. Cause I mean, the thing about it from that perspective is that they get all these antibodies. They get so many micronutrients and probiotic benefits that um that the milk provides alongside everything else in the diet so what we would what we 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 test different foods with her and we post a lot of it on instagram with like she loves dates we'll give her uh dates we give her prunes to help with her digestion and we'll give her chickpea miso different types of miso for probiotics we give her sauerkraut we give her hummus we give her um, boiled, like, you know, boiled down lentils and quinoa that's really, really mushy. Um, we'll give her broccoli, squash, banana, um, different nut butters. Um, we do smoothies with her. So we put spinach and kale and, and hemp seed and flax seed and things and, and smoothies and blend that right down. And Lauren will have a smoothie and she'll give a little bit to Zia as well. We even give Zia Restore, that oh, product yes. from Zach Bush. Yes. So we would, we've got a little dropper and we'll put, we'll get, we'll give her a little dropper full of restore. And so there's that, that is where we're at. But what I would tell parents is that one of the first things you want to do is just try to veganize a lot of the, the, 
old foods that they're used to first. And so like if they've grown up on chicken nuggets and things, try using the Guardian chicken tender, the crumb chicken tenders. Don't tell, don't tell them because very often parents will tell them and then for whatever reason, the kids just get a hang up in their head that, oh, this isn't what I'm used to. Just give it to them and say it's the same thing, but it's just it's just a new 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 marketing or new product or whatever. And um, one of the other things is like veganize a lot of the traditional dishes. So like if they love lasagna, make a vegan lasagna. If they love, you know, burgers, make a, a vegan burger with, you know, a Beyond Meat patty or like a bean burger instead. Or, you know, find ways to veganize the old meals, like spaghetti bolognese, do that. You know, like you can veganize anything. Then another thing that we encourage people to do is to give their kids a little bit of autonomy over what they want to eat. So create like buffet style, like a la carte type meals where you might have a bowl of salad, you know, um, greens, a bowl of tomatoes, a bowl of beets, a bowl of rice, a bowl of beans, a bowl of guacamole, a bowl of hummus. And you make tacos with it and you pick what you want, obviously, and let them pick what they want and let them experiment. Because sometimes when they make, when they take autonomy over their own choices, they're more likely to consume it because it's not being forced on them. And that goes a step further is if you have a vegetable garden or you have a flower bed, get them to grow their own beans or broccoli in the garden and get them to nurture that broccoli. And then when it's time to pick that broccoli, get them to help boil it or steam it and then get them to, you know, and then they eat that broccoli because they've been through the process from the beginning. And the last thing I think is just super important. It comes back to what I said in the beginning is be a living model of what you want them to do. So if you want them to eat healthier and you want them to eat their broccoli and you want them to eat vegetables, you do those things yourself, but go a step further than that and just don't eat like, you know, don't be gorging yourself on processed vegan junk food in front of them but when you don't want them to eat those things. Um, so I think that use that as a value-based system to drive your decisions. And you know, the last thing is I think that kids are instinctively, when I look at like this, and you probably agree, kids are instinctively vegan to start with. You know, like when you look at children, when you look at children, if you put an apple in front of a child and a rabbit, they're going to eat, you know, they eat the apple and they're going to play with the rabbit. They're not going to take a bite out of the rabbit and play with the apple. And so instinctively that gives you a compass by which they are innately vegan and they, they have innate kindness in them to start with. And so I think that you should nurture that rather than just going down the cultural conditioning of, you know, rabbits or dogs or cats are our friends. And then, you know, we're going to eat chickens, cows, and pigs. And that, you know, and, and I think that when you can come from that place of kindness, I think that's going to instill kindness in them from a person to person perspective. You know, Dr. Will Tuttle talks about this, Dr. Melanie Joy, in the sense that I feel like from an early age, when we're taught that um, animals, you know, are, are there for us to use and eat, that it teaches us violence from a very early stage. And if we're taught that, from a very early stage, it's just opens the floodgate for us to be like that towards other people. And you just, you can just take a look in society today in terms of like ongoing wars and violence in other countries or even in our own countries and know that that is a human pattern that's been repeating itself. And I think partly because it's just conditioned in us from birth. Um, so I do think that, you know, we have a responsibility as parents and I do think also if you want your, you know, if you want your kids to be plant-based, 
just make sure you do your research, you know, and, and make sure that you're giving them the right foods that are going to nourish them. And, and that being said, don't go to the other end of the spectrum and think that they don't need cow's milk to be healthy. They don't, there's nothing innately found in meat that is like some unicorn fairy dust that is going to be healthy that, that they need. Everything, even the American Dietetic Association, the governing body of dietitians in America says that a well-planned vegan diet is appropriate for all, all stages of life from pregnancy through to elderly um, el- the elderly. And so if the governing body says that, you know that some internet bro on Instagram who says that you're being an irresponsible parent, they have no idea what they're talking about. And so I think leave from that perspective and don't let these, um, these internet gurus, and I use air quotations and that term very loosely, you know, dissuade you or um, make you paranoid about it. It's all conditioning. I mean, you, you talk about the the baby uh, holding the apple and the rabbit. I mean, I, I look at it as an adult as well. When you look at a cow and a chicken that walks past you, you don't salivate, you know? <laughs> no, no, no I, I, don't, I don't think anyone really salivates. I mean, they salivate of the concept of maybe bacon and things like that, but really, yeah. I mean... But you don't, but you don't, but you don't look at a, a living pig with hair all with hair all over it, with with poop on its butt, with poop on its butt, and be like, hmm, that looks exactly delicious. like that. It's you have to be a psych psychopath. I, I'm sure that. there's someone out there that potentially is going down that path. Uh, it, 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 who who really takes fancy yeah. that? But generally, yeah, I, I agree with that. No one no one actually looks at a pig and actually salivates. And I'm fortunate enough that um because the other day that Emily and I brought our little girl um to this kind of omnivore place the only vegan option that uh, on the menu for kids was the beyond meat spaghetti bolognese so we bought it yeah and yeah it was so funny because you i could see sienna just picking out the below the the beyond me <laughs> and just wanting to eat the pasta so i was like yes yeah. that's my girl she doesn't even want yeah, beyond I mean, meat that's awesome she, she, she's going for that high carb yeah food. she's going for the high carb whole food plant based so 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 i'm really yeah. really 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 happy with that but i think the other thing as well for, for me right now because i i've got that dilemma um when because we we sent her to play school play group and today i actually sent um emily a picture of what actually happened in play group and i was actually pretty disturbed because they they have a baking session today and they were making pizzas and do oh, and they were man. making pizzas. Yeah, yeah they were going. making pizzas. And one of the kids was cutting cutting ham. I'm like, oh my goodness. I like yeah. I, I, I could imagine like maybe maybe not in this case, but for parents who actually worry about who need to send their kids to school or or game, yeah. what would you say to them? How would you navigate through that? Yeah. It's, I mean, that's a that's a tough one because I guess it just depends on the age of, of them. And and I mean I I haven't even been in that position myself, but I do know, and we've guided other vegan parents, you know, who who were new to veganism and they had to try and move their whole family over. And I think one of the best things that we encouraged them to do was to go to animal sanctuaries and um, animal farms where the animals have been rescued, and to get them to spend time with the pigs, um, or and spend time with the cows and chickens, and to pet them and to bond with them and to see them and to do it more than just once. Because I think that when when they can understand that, um, and there's a really good book called V is for Vegan, 
for example, that we that we read to Zia, even though she's still too young to probably understand, we'll just keep reading it to her all the time. And I think that if you take them to these places where the animals are playing and they play with them, they start to see them as friends and pets. And so they recognize, and then and then we we tie on the whole thing of like you wouldn't eat your friends, would you? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, you know, that's why that's why we do what we do. And then and then it makes sense to them because they they have an emotional attachment to the, the sentient being at the beginning of the process. Whereas if you just try to say that's not healthy or we don't do that, well, they don't understand the emotional reason why. Like they don't. It doesn't make. They don't have nutritional knowledge or understanding as to that's not healthy. Um, and so I, I definitely think tapping in from the playing and bonding with the animals is is really important. And you know the the weirdest thing it just made me realize and remember this is when I was a butcher, I had such a, de- a, a detachment to seeing the animals come in in carcass form. So they would come in, and so they had their head missing. The pigs had their heads attached, but the other animals had no head. There was no skin. There was no hooves. There was no tail, and, was that, and they had no guts or anything. And so they looked. it looked like something you'd put on like a rotisserie spit. It was already in a semi-product form. And so because I wasn't looking at the living, breathing, squealing, fearful animal at the start of the process, I was so detached to what I was doing that I just saw it as food. And I, and I mean, I knew, I knew that they were a living thing. I knew where they came from, but I didn't even question it once. And this is a grown adult. So if grown adults don't even question it once, kids are going to be more vulnerable. And so when... I, the way that it, it really burned its, into my consciousness was as part of my apprenticeship as a butcher, I had to go into slaughterhouses and see the whole process from the start. And so when I would see the cow in the holding pen, like foaming at the mouth with its eyes really big and it's panting, like hyperventilating, and it, it clearly looks scared as hell. Um, and it gets pushed up this cattle run and, you know, all the things that happen. And I saw it graphically. When I saw that, I never, ever forget that because it was so graphic and violent and not peaceful and not humane. Because to me, humane is, would we want it done to ourselves? And if, it, if we wouldn't want it done to ourselves, therefore it's not humane. And so humane is a marketing ploy. And I recognize that it was only once I saw the living animal being vulnerable and fearful and recognized and saw myself in its eyes that I was like, holy hell. And that really, I'll never forget that moment. And I think you don't need to obviously traumatize children like that, but, but in the same, in the same light, get them to bond with the animals in a peaceful, safe environment and see them when they're happy and peaceful and feeling safe. And I think that's a really potent way to help them understand what they're doing. And I would also make the experience with food with them at home fun. So like make, you know, on the same day, get go home and, and, and that weekend make a fun vegan pizza. And you know that you're having a little bit of skill around it, make it even better than the one that was at the, the preschool. And 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 make cooking and food creativity for them at home fun. 
And I think that will really, really help people in terms of navigating social situations where their kids are in these environments. Yeah, I think it's about doing the best you can. And I mean, you mentioned V is for vegan book and that's the book that I've been reading to her the past few nights as well. Funny you brought that up because uh, one of my plant bill friends, Sarah, bought it for us and, and, you know, she was a little bit too young when she got it for us. But but now she's a little bit older. She's two plus. So we were just going through the stories. I think there's a few books that I want to share as well that I've actually ordered on Book Depository. Um, and I guess this is for, for kids that are, you know, toddlers who are really, really young. And, yeah. and I think that's, I think story time is just a really, really good time to, of course, bond and also share share this message. The books that I ordered was That's Why We Don't Eat Animals, I think. That's oh, that's cool. uh, by Ruby Ross. Um, I ordered that one and I also ordered... Um, Vegan is love, and Linus the vegetarian T Rex. So I'm not actually sure what does vegetarian T Rex mean. Does he eat, eat eggs and dairy? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure about that one. But yeah. those are the ones that I ordered. So I'll, I'll let you know how that, how that, how they are. But but I think yeah, it's about just showing them and getting them connected with the food that they eat. And for us, we've got a veggie garden as well. And and I agree with you. It's about letting your little child be connected with the whole process of what they eat. And, and dude, I, I think I think this goes back to to everything, even into adulthood. Like you were saying, taking it back so they can see the whole process from the start is that we're so detached from our food system. We're so, we're so emotionally and nutritionally detached from our food system that a lot of the foods that we think of food is actually food-like substances. It's not even food. It's just chemicals put together in a palatable, hyper-palatable form, but also there are so many people that I know who are good, kind, loving people who still eat animals. And the, uh, and the reason why is because they are not aware of the process from start to finish. They, whether they choose to be ignorant or they're just legitimately ignorant, um, they do not know what their food system looks like from start to finish. So like, even from a nutritional perspective, I can tell you that as a former butcher, I worked in one of the largest butcheries in New Zealand at the time. And when I was processing animals in there, we would hit tumors and abscesses and pus and cysts all the time. And these are from like high-grade New Zealand animals, so to speak. New Zealand meat is kind of touted as the best quality yeah. uh, meat in the world. Premium. Premium. Yeah, and so I can tell you now that if it happens there, I can only imagine what happens in places like America. And um, so what I'm saying to people is that they see this meat on a pretty packaged tray or glistening with a little stamp on it with a happy cow or whatever, but they don't see the the fearful animal that started the process like I saw truly like d- like fearful for its life, um, literally being dismembered while it is still alive. And then they, do- they don't see it coming into the butchery where the butchers are hitting pockets of pus and then, and then just wiping the pus away with a dirty rag and the meat packet and they cut off anything that lo- looks – obviously discolored and that gets put into pet food rendering so your pets you so you so your pets are eating that but then the meat packers at the front end use scrapers and scrape off all the obvious stuff that you can see but if you put it under a microscope you'll see fecal matter bacteria pus all sorts of stuff all over these products and so people are buying these products and they're eating them and they don't even know what it looks like at the early stages of the 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 process and even like um 
one of the one of the cool experiences we had recently was when we were in Nashville, we went up to this farm called Bloomsbury Farm, and it's an organic um, vegetarian farm. And they do like sprouts and they have all kinds of cool stuff. And we went there and we bought a whole lot of produce from them because like Zach Bush talks a lot about this, about you've got to connect back to the farmers and incentivize them to grow more organic produce that's not heavily sprayed where the, where the soil is like heavily tilled and nutrient void because all the vegetables and stuff basically essentially get a lot of those micronutrients from the soil. And so getting back to where your food's coming from. And he said, ultimately growing your own food like you do is the best, best thing for us where we travel a lot. It's, it's like impossible. We can't really grow our own food. I mean, we can grow some, maybe some herbs and herbs and stuff. And, but we can't like grow beds of vegetables because we're traveling. But, um, we try to go to like farmers markets or like find if there's organic farms in the area because Ultimately, when you can take your kids back to the process from the beginning and get them to understand the origin of where things come from, and you understand the origin of where your food comes from, you're more invested in the process and you're more invested in eating healthy. If you knew that your meat was covered in pus and bacteria and cysts and fecal matter, would you be choosing to eat that? Um, if If you could see the animal fighting for its life being dismembered while it was alive, would you choose to eat that or would you choose to eat something that's been grown in a garden with love and nutrient dense soil and your kids have had a hand in growing that too? And so I think that we need to stop being so detached from the food system because that ultimately is the food system preys on that naivete. They, they prey on consumers being ignorant. And even for example, now, there was legislation in Louisiana that was recently just passed where some political figure, some governor in Louisiana passed some ridiculous bill where potentially this coming year, things like veggie, veggie bacon or um, cauliflower rice, anything that's a plant but has like bacon or like, like will not be um, – they will not be allowed to promote it. And, and their whole logic is we need to be more transparent with consumers. And it's like – they were trying to do that with plant milk at one point as well, wasn't it? Because milk is from cows. Yeah, and, and I find it, I, and I find it hilarious because there's now uh, like meat-based companies like Tyson Foods who are coming out with like these ridiculous hybrid meat. They're using the word plant-based, and it's not plant-based. So it's it's this it's this it's okay for them to do it, but it's not okay for the plant-based pr- companies. And I actually think that it's a sign of an economical shift oh, where now, now the animal agriculture industry and the, the lobbyists and the people who have businesses invested that have a vested interest in blocking plant-based alternative growth as much as possible from a financial perspective. And you can call me a conspiracy theorist, but read the book Meat and Nonsense. Oh, yeah, well, definitely. And, and they literally follow the money trail back where animal – Animal agriculture companies, the dairy board, the egg industry, they will fund research that basically supports the use of those products. And then they put that research out there or they'll get the Washington Post or they'll get these newspaper tabloids to promote it. But it's research funded by the companies that benefit in the the promotion of these products. And so now they're trying to use a lot of legislation down here to stop consumers. But 
it's ridiculous because the people who are making these decisions have no nutritional background. They probably have um, experts who are in the animal agriculture industry. So it's a very skewed, manipulative industry. So really, it comes back to consumers being very proactive about getting educated and, and not just believing things because political bodies tell them. And that's where a big part of, ironically now, at the elite level, when we work with our top people, we actually educate people on this. We teach people, educate them around how to understand reading labels, how to understand navigating food choices, because that's a life skill. You need to teach those life skills. You, don't, you can't just teach someone to eat tofu and broccoli. That's going to give them a, a short-term result, but you need to teach them how to navigate life. 100%. My goodness. I mean, Frasier, we've we've went all over the shop in this this chat, man. This is this, this is great. It was this fun. this this is awesome. This is awesome. So I guess I mean we we went all around. We went from parenthood to gut health <laughs> to ethics, um, everything in between. So for for the person that's listening out there, like he's mind blown now. But all he wants to do is <laughs> all he wants to do is get better and not fall off the wagon and he's struggling like what will you say to him or her if this person is struggling with their plant based diet now and yeah. close to giving up or overwhelmed? Yeah. I would I would say the first and most important thing is you need to seek expert counsel. Um, and, and this is not like, this is not like promoting myself or my services. This is saying, if you want to come to me, fine. But if you want to go to another nutritionist or dietitian, fine, but you need to get someone who can see the forest for the trees. Um, you need, I think, because what I find often happens is you get a lot of people who come in and they want to go vegan or plant-based, but they want to just like bootleg it. They want to just, and, and through that bootlegging process, they discover all kinds of misinformation and confusion and conflicting arguments and opinions. And they get so overloaded and overwhelmed with like polarity around like, this is good. This is not good. This is bad. This is great. But so-and-so said, and, and, and they just have a meltdown. And I think also when you need to compress down your learning curve, because there's so much information out there you could spend so long just trying to read through it all. And that if you can hire an expert to guide you through a program or some kind of um, system, it's going to compress down your learning curve. It's going to alleviate your stress because you're going to have more certainty, less decision making. The other thing I would say is you need to get people around you on board. You need to develop a good support network because one of the things that I have found is that very often we will have people come to us and they really want to do it. But for whatever reason, they don't have control of the finances in that relationship or their partner's not vegan. And he's like, you're not spending all that money on so-and-so or, and, and they'll go spend money on like a vacation and, you know, like Bali. And, and so they, so they, so it's priorities, but it's not expressing yourself enough to, to cultivate a good support network. Because if you're just trying to do this by yourself and you're in an environment where people are eating animals, they're taking you out to like restaurants where they're just eating non-vegan products and they're pushing you to do it, you're really, really going to struggle. And so I think you need to vocalize why this matters to you. Like, why is this important to you? And then share it with them from a loving perspective, not a finger pointing perspective, but a loving perspective. And what I would also say is go back and listen to the part where I talk about the spectrum of where you walk along, where you begin, like veganize your current meals, just replace it with like a plant-based meat alternative. Um, do the basic stuff first. 
add in more colored vegetables, you know, do the rainbow. So like, that's a simple way to do it. So like, think of the rainbow, where's your red vegetable, where's your green, where's your orange, where's your yellow, do that every day. Add in a um, probiotic rich food, whether it's tempeh or miso or a cultured coconut yogurt or, um, you know, whether you take a good probiotic capsule if you need that or like prebiotic foods like chickpeas, sweet potato, walnuts, um, bananas. Add in fruit between your meals. Don't be scared of fruit and fruit sugars. Like add in like high water content fruit to get like really, really hydrated, like melons, different things like that. Add in dark, mixed dark berries for the antioxidant profiles. So you want to add in a diverse range of foods. And then what I would say is start with that. And then once you start getting that system down, then start adding in more organic produce. Start going to the farm. Start getting the cleaner stuff rather than just conventional stuff. Clean your produce. Clean it well. Um, do living foods. Learn how to sprout your own legumes. Um, learn it, Plant your own garden. Like get, Learn to enjoy the process of becoming a better person. Don't just do this because you want to look jacked or you want to be lean or you want to fit into your size four dress for your bit or your bikini because you're going on holiday soon and you want to look really good when you you post to the gram. Like that stuff is transient and it's not going to stick. You need to be doing this for meaningful reasons. And sometimes it takes digging into your personality and coming back to getting a mentor because a mentor can help you dig into that. So Long story short, you need support, but you need to start appreciating the process and start where you are. Don't feel like you have to do all the stuff I said in a day. It might take you five years to get here, but start where you are and just start today. Don't wait till Monday to do it. Start, start today. today and always have that, that, that little determination and drive to just push that one bit, one foot forward, just that bit more, just to yes. always kind of feel a little bit when you feel comfortable get uncomfortable for every now and then. I think just keep pushing and eventually, yeah. you know, you look at where you were before being in the slaughterhouse to where you are right now, being a dad, Frazier, what an amazing transformation and journey. I'm really, really privileged and honored to call you a friend. And although we haven't met each other, um, I look forward to the day that we finally do. And it's, 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 I do, it's, I really it's one do. of those things where I've just been connected with so many people in the vegan movement um, that I've met that I just click with. And it's just been an online kind of relationship. And, and you, I think definitely it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, my friend. It's definitely going to happen sooner rather than later. It's, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me on board. I hope your listeners get some value. Um, we really, really covered a lot. So it was a lot to take in, but it was really, really fun. So thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. And just to wrap up, I've got like two quick questions that I ask um, every person that I speak to. So the first question is, if you have a magic wand and you get one wish, what would that be? What would you like to change in the world? Man, I, I think that I would love to be able to change just the way that humans interact with the world and animals and each other so i know that when i am old and i'm leaving this place that this world is not going to crumble under my daughter's feet like i i i want to know that um i the the world that she's going to grow up in is going to be something that is, is happy for her and she has a really fulfilling, meaningful life. And so I want the planet to be healthy and I want um, humans to respect it. And I don't want 
us to see, you know, us plundering the oceans and creating so much unsustainable pollution and emissions that, you know, global warming and fossil fuels just destroy this planet. Like I want to know that what I'm doing here, and I, I would love to just wave a wand to get everyone on the same page with that. So everyone aligns their, their values. So we leave this place for our kids in a place that's beautiful. Beautiful. And final question, what does being awake mean to you? Being awake, I think, means recognizing that in some areas of my life, I'm still asleep. Um, being awake m means that no matter where I'm at right now in terms of my own growth and evolution, there's always blind spots that I'm missing and that I've never just reached some finish point where I'm done and I'm and, and I'm and I'm perfect. Um, being awake recognizes that in in aspects of my life I'm still sleeping, and that when I can when I know that I can at least start to search for those areas to then create um, like consciousness within them. Brilliant, my friend. I, I love it, love it. So, how can people get in touch with you? How can people follow you and the work that you do? Yeah, so if you go to, um, if you just search me on Facebook, Fraser Bailey, F-R-A-S-E-R-B-A-Y-L-E-Y, -E -E um, that's my Facebook profile. I post some more personal stuff on there. Or Facebook, um, search Evolving Alpha. Or if you go to um, www.evolvingalpha.com, um, that's our website. We have some of our um, stuff on there, some you know blog content, some of our programming and stuff. And then if you go to at, at Evolving Alpha on Instagram or at Fraser Bailey on Instagram. That's my handle. Um, and then we have the Plant Strong Fitness group on Facebook. So if you search Plant Strong Fitness, that is a closed group on Facebook that we just use as like a, a forum just to try and, you know, promote veganism and plant-based living in a sort of more safe environment. So that is where you can find me. Brother, thank you very much. Thank you. What a legend Fraser is. I hope you got lots of insights from our conversation together. I always learn so much from Fraser during our chats, and I'm sure you did too. That's it for today's episode. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you taking the time out, and it really means a lot to me. If you think anyone can benefit from this information or the work that Fraser does, do share it with them. For more information, any links or resources mentioned in this episode, or to find out how to connect with Fraser, visit awakemethod.com slash podcast. Until the next one, live once, eat plants. See you next time.